Hi, welcome to Pivot to First. I'm Mike Seidel, CTO here at Pivot CX. I'm the guy that writes the software here at Pivot. And uh, today I'm joined with a special guest, Chuck Young, and as usual with David Bernstein, our VP of all things revenue. Chuck is a really, really interesting guest. He comes out of the staffing and contingent staffing world. Uh, he's recently launched his own company, and I'm very, very excited to learn a little more about what he's doing because it looks, it looks pretty exciting. Uh, he's the founder of Talent Agility X. Chuck, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, David, for having me. Great that you have you here. Yes. Great to have you here. <laughs> so, Chuck, uh, tell us about Talent Agility X. What, what's it all about and what got you to start it? What drove you to go do such a crazy thing and start your own company? Well, you know, I, I always say that uh, the only teacher is experience, which I'm sure you guys know well, being in software. Um, we can talk about things, we can see products or services, but unless we live them, uh, we really don't know what it's like. And, you know, I've been uh, working with software platforms, talent platforms now for nine years, and I've aggregated freelancer platforms, and I always wanted to understand what it's like to be independent. Um, so I wanted to feel like that, so I consult. And what I would like to do is provide objective truths instead of subjective pitches. Uh, buyers are typically not super educated. And from that perspective, they don't they, they buy things that they don't understand. And what I do is offer consulting services to buyers of staffing companies, digital platforms, VMSs, and try and help them understand their product market fit and, and, and bring more truth so we can elevate the whole talent experience in general. Wow, Chuck, that's a real problem out there. It's really funny you bring up uh, people buying things they don't understand. Um, we've been working with a, a, a potential client the last few weeks and the way they're finding budget for our product i kid you not is they're just going to cancel the contract on a few things that they don't use that they didn't understand what to do with after they bought it it's it's, it's such a truth that, you know i come from the contingent world mostly i've worked on the perm side where their procurement has no budgets right so the first answer you get when you try and sell them something is hey i don't have a budget so what they've done is created a bunch of success-based products which is a terrible way to get investment from a business. So, um, you know, and typically buyers, are, you know, don't go to school to acquire talent. Maybe HR people do, but HR is not talent acquisition. And so the, the understanding and the awareness of what a talent, what talent experiences in life from a process, from engagement with a recruiter uh, through getting a declination letter, you know, they just don't understand that. And so when you go and sell them something, how can they understand uh, the value of a product or what a talent experiences in that uh, in that product without actually doing it themselves. I can see that. So one other thing that I thought was really interesting is I before we decided to have you on and everything, I looked through your profile and I see meditation and breathing facilitator. Tell tell us a little bit about that. You've been doing that for like nine years. Yeah. So thank you for asking. I've actually been my personal practice is much longer, but I started teaching my friends about 10 years ago uh, and then started running classes. But, you know, uh, we have a problem today. So as product people, um, what is the biggest problem today is mental health, right? Because uh, people are inundated with information, especially since, you know, the advent of smartphones in 2008, people are poisoning themselves with information. And what you hear and read is, much more important than what you eat because it can poison you. And, and so if we, in today's world, we take no time to, to stop. If you go back a hundred years, 
Uh, you go to work, uh, you work in the field, you come home, there would be no power maybe. Uh, you go to bed and the mind would have time to integrate all that, all that it, it had experienced. So there was you know, 50% activity, 50% stillness. Mm -hmm. um, today, we know people are looking at their phones laying in bed. And so it's, uh, it's typically about 90% act, mental activity. And that creates neurosis. So as a product person, we know that the biggest problem that we're seeing is mental health. And it'll only get more pervasive. Um, so I thought, you know, uh, one, I experienced that running a business, staffing business. Uh, I was experiencing anxiety uh, from working too much. And so I started diving into um, conscious breathing, which was really blew my mind. And then uh, obviously the meditation on the back end of that. So anybody suffering from um, mental activity and anxiety, stress, you know, the conscious connected breath is a way that can really fix things very quickly. And it's a powerful tool and technology that's pretty ancient. Interesting. I, I've never, never tried it, but, um, you know, everything you're saying about the way life is right now, especially with mobile phones and, and the, just the constant amount of distraction and ideas being pushed to people, that's a real problem. It really is. So, you know, kind of hats off to you for, for really doing something about it. Thank you. So, you know, kind of move. The, the, the breath is command line to the, to the brain, right? Right. So, okay. I never thought of it that way, but uh, yeah, it makes sense. So if you want to hack the brain, the breath is, is, is an, is an autonomic response. And it's also something that you can control. You can, you breathe, right? You can't stop yourself from not breathing. So you really don't control the breath, but the breath is one of those things that you can control. So the, the breath is the physiological aspect of the mind. And the mind is the psychological component of the breath. The life follows breath like a shadow, right? So, you know, when you take your first breath, life comes. Uh, when you give your last breath, life goes. So there's something very secret about the breath that controls life. And it's not so much the breath, it's the invisible rider of the breath. It's it's the actual life force uh, that, that matters, that can really change how you feel. All right, so let's talk talent. Um, I keep hearing this phrase, trashlent. Tell us what that means, Chuck. Well, thanks for asking, Mike. I think it's just really important. And as we elevate, uh, people talk about talent and candidate experience all the time. Uh, if when you really look at the reality of candidate experience, whether it's on full-time uh, process, whether it's a full-time worker or a contingent worker or a contractor, talent is typically discarded. And I love to use the analogy is, you know, you know, 20 years ago, I had one trash can. I just threw everything in that trash can and that was fine. And I took it out. But then we implemented recycling, right? And then probably 60 or 70% of my trash went into recycling. It was just right. about consciousness, right? Hey, we're, we're using a recycling bin. And all of a sudden we realized the value of what we're throwing away. And the reality is in the hiring process is we haven't gotten to that point yet, whether that's a redeployment, whether that's uh, job job out placement, um, we're just not there yet. And and I just wanted to bring more light to that and say, hey, right now we're treating our trash like we did 20 years ago. And we need to, we need to get to a point of consciousness with talent that we're really saving because companies spend millions of dollars hiring talent, paying agency fees, when the reality is they're like a, a, a bucket with a bunch of holes in it that just leaks leaks talent, beautiful talent all the time. And uh, we're just not there yet from any systems or process perspective. 
You know, Chuck, that's that's super relevant that you brought that up because we, we're seeing this in our right now with clients that we're starting to work with. And David probably can jump in on this, but we're seeing an awful lot of interest on how do we take these people that maybe worked for us seasonally last year, worked for us during uh, the spring season. How do we get them back in for the fall or uh, and that kind of thing? And, and it's amazing to me how difficult uh, reengaging talent is for a lot of companies. Yeah, and the funny part is, it's not that hard to do, um, but but companies aren't doing it. And I, I and so if we want to reengage talent, first thing we need is a place to meet them, right? So whether that's a talent pool, whether that's a a platform, and so I need to have a place to engage that talent, and then I have a need a place to in, offer them work. And I've I've seen successful redeployment co- uh, programs, you know, claims adjusters for insurance companies, you know, very specific needs. Um, so we're starting to see companies ask that question, but in order to, to, to re-engage talent, you have to engage talent in the first place. And the reality is engagement happens through the talent acquisition at hire, but as soon as they get hired or they don't get hired, uh, talent is forgotten. And that's where all the waste is. That's really true. I mean, we see that day in and day out. Um, you know, one of the things that drives a lot of people to, to our to our product is that they have amassed, we have a client that has amassed over 300,000 candidates in their ATS and um, they, they couldn't go, hey, I just want to get a message out to all the people that applied for, you know, a, a nurse position last year. Um, it was really hard for them to do that and it shouldn't have been. I mean, it's it's like a, almost a fundamental organization level thing that, that if you, uh, you, you have to do a little planning in order to do any kind of re-engagement. And uh, the other thing I think people forget is that all of this, no matter if, if you hire a thousand people or one person, every one of those people that, that you're hire or you interact with, that, that person is actually a, you know, it's a real person out there. And if you, we don't communicate with them, uh, there is no relationship. Yeah, it's so true. So one, you can talk about the ATS, like, when I consult with companies, there's three types of talent, right? There's the talent that you know, those are the people in the ATS, those are your payrollees, those are your interns, those are your seasonal workers. There's the people that know you, those are the mm-hmm. people that are going to your career sites and applying, those are your referrals. And, and then there's the people that you find, right? Those are the people you go out and seek on job boards. And so those are the, those are the typical pockets. And the first thing you wanna to go to a customer and say is, hey, um, you know the people that know you and, and they typically don't. And I'm not just talking about direct buyers, even staffing agencies where their, their, their actual product is people, they can't even go into their own systems and find talent. You know, their recruiters typically go reactive and go to, to the people you find. Um, so this is, this is a pervasive problem even with people that use talent as a product. Um, so we've got a long way to go, but we start having this conversation and we start to solve small problems like redeployment of seasonal workers or a specific skill set, and then we can build on that. But we need to start thinking about the whole life cycle of a talent's experience, not just you know where they apply, because uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that companies pay a lot of money for talent when they have them all sitting in their database, right? Yeah, I'm talking with uh, one of our customers right now who has has I won't say the number because it's a gross number, but. Uh, literally thousands of people in their Indeed inbox that they've never gotten in touch with. P- 
people who, who get people that know them that have expressed interest in them that they just were not able to build the, an initial relationship with. So now they have an aged population of people that wanted to know them at a certain point, but they fell by the wayside. So again, an, another form of how trash, you know, talent ended up in the trash bin, right? Just neglected and, and overlooked, for example, right? Um, we're talking with, I have another conversation going where folks are saying, you know, there's a whole bunch of interest from our alumni, we, right? How do we get people who boomerang back, right? There's all these populations that um, people are beginning to wake up and realize they could, re, you know, connect with, but then they're still scratching their heads on how do you do it? I, I think you kind of labeled a great thing. You, first, you got to have a place to, re, to engage them from, right? Have you, have you seen some, you know, so you're talking about what it sounds like baby steps along the way. How do we eventually get to this kind of enlightened world where this isn't happening? But what are you seeing as some of the great first steps that companies are or uh, agencies are, are beginning to take that move them down this path? Great, yeah? great question, David. And it's a pervasive problem for everyone. Um, but, you know, we, we can talk about what clients call pre-ID programs, which is some companies are managing it on a spreadsheet like that's like you know the state the stone age of uh, redeployment and talent engagement so some companies that realize they have some value they'll put them on a spreadsheet and they'll they'll have a person that runs that program but now we've had the advent of talent facing technology i've had a lot of experience in the direct sourcing space that gets a lot of buzz um but the reality the reality is you need a platform to to engage them so i, I love pivot cx one because it's light um, and it has all the feature functionality of a, of a direct sourcing technology, but that's really a place where talent can have a good experience and, and then also be offered engaged uh, communication. So one, when talent applies to you, like you said, um, so I, I, was, I had this conversation this week, like easy apply has almost been a bad thing, right? We have too much data. So if I put a job posting out there, especially on the downturn of the economy, I'm going to get 200 candidates as a recruiter. I, I just, I can't even respond to that. Right. Um, so if I don't have the appropriate platform, uh, if I'm just using an external, external job board or LinkedIn, I've immediately got a workflow problem. So one is setting up the proper architect architecture um, for this sort of concept uh, for a talent experience concept. Right. And then two is, you know, and then that requires uh, two is, you know, identifying, uh, the, the talent population. So if you say you go to a company and say, hey, one ATS is I've migrated six million profiles from one from one client into a talent platform. Right. As much as big as that. Six um, million. Did you six say million. six million? Six million. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's and valuable talent that was not being used. So so that's the first thing is is the first question I ask buyers is like, what's 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 the problem you're trying to solve? And is that, is that, I need better talent? Do I need cheaper talent? Like, what, what's my problem? And then two, you know, who do you hire for? And, and so we can look at the historical data, look a couple of years to say, hey, I know that I hired these roles. And if we see repeatable roles, um, we know that there's a, there's a problem we can probably solve with technology. And then three, hey, who have you engaged with? And so we can look at the populations that we can match the actual demand to what's in their data set. And so that's a starting point. And then, and then from there you have a, a, you can set up a talent platform or talent pools that have those associated skill sets that they support. And then you go forward from there and then you, then you have, have to service those platforms as well. You know, you can't, this whole concept that technology is going to solve this problem is a fallacy. 
you need to you need to take a conscious effort and uh, it's going to benefit your brand it's going to benefit talent it's going to benefit your bottom line so when a customer what will in your case six million that's a conscious decision but that's that's huge what was their intent what, what were they thinking how did it plan uh, and did it pan out do you know how they i mean six million that's not a trivial number so you have you no. don't just throw six million into a bucket and then say now i'm going to reach out to them can you do you have any other insights on on how that worked out for them and what they were able to do to gain value from that that, that that's that's a not a, that's not an inexpensive decision right yeah and and it was it was a big decision and that was an agency that was a staffing agency right oh, so wow. that's why you see the, the uh you know a multi uh, almost billion dollar staffing agency which knew that they had a leading ats or agency ats product that they were not leveraging this talent and so you know, typical, if you look at a staffing agency, um, they, when they get to a certain scale, they want to handle front office, which is talent engagement, middle office and back office, which is hiring. And so when we get these average platforms, just like a customer that gets an average ATS, they buy one of the big boys. They're no longer great at talent engagement. They're great at a lot of back office functions that don't benefit talent. So um, in that case, a staffing agency. So when we invite candidates that are known, and this is something you can see, I've seen staffing agencies experience about three to 5% uh, acceptance rate from known talent. So I invite a hundred people, staffing agencies have three to 5%, three to five people come back and say, Hey, I'll join your talent pool. Whereas uh, it, we implemented a, a really popular brand in the Northwest uh, retailer and uh, they had hundreds of thousands of profiles and they had about a 48% response rate, right? So if you're a really great brand, immediately half of the people that has applied to jobs really want to work with you. So, um, you know, I think that there wasn't great use case in the 6 million, still get a couple hundred thousand candidates, which is a lot, it's a lot of money if you're talking about placements. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're talking about being a, a, a respected brand, as, as you guys, uh, if you live in, in San Francisco, you can get a real good return uh, on your on, on that sort of effort. Right. And the, and the implication so, Chuck, on the. That... Oh, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, David. Go ahead. No, I, so well, uh, I was going to throw in. So I was going to throw in Mike. As, uh, Chuck, as you look at this and. Uh, the implication on on how the process rolls out as well in terms of productivity or speed have you kind of seen any kind of implication from not just trying to focus on creating a better candidate experience and profitability for the business but are, are you are you seeing other kind of wins when, when folks are not treating trash talent like trash absolutely i think that's a great point because the reality is um, we're taking we're going from a reactive mindset um, to to a passive mindset. So say we've set up this talent pool. We have let's say we have a hundred software engineers, um, for example, skill set wise, we'll use it, and um, you've invited them into your community and a brand you love. And because of tech, great technologies like Pivot, you can immediately as soon as you have a job opportunity, you push that out. Um, and what I've seen is typical response times uh, from text message based systems. I, I haven't used Pivot, but text message based systems, I've seen an average response time of 14 minutes. If you compare that to a typical email, which is four hours, um, one, they're there and they're responding because they have your brand. One, if you put them in a talent pool and you said, hey, thanks for joining my talent pool, and they get a response from your system, they're typically going to respond again um, when you apply to them. 
And then obviously, then you're going to have, uh, you put a rec out, you have a hiring manager that's engaged within five minutes, you're going to have 10 applicants back. And we, we really shorten that workflow. Whereas typically a manager puts an opportunity in, it gets approved, that takes 10 days. It goes out to a recruiter. He pushes that out through his channels. Now, 20 days later, the hiring manager's out trying to do his job. Candidates come back. Hiring manager disappears for 10 days. So the whole workflow needs to be turned on its head. And, and systems, uh, you know, talent, talent engaging systems can create that sort of shortened workflow, which creates a uh, shortened time to hire for, by, by extreme amounts. You know, something that I, I hear a lot, uh, when I, especially when I'm talking to other people that are either HR tech or consultants, is I keep hear, hearing them talking about how, you know, the labor market's changing and now there's more talent available. And so it's not as important to treat everybody as well as you were a year ago. And I kind of think that's crazy because number one, yeah, things have changed this much. Not enough to justify mistreating candidates. We're not going back to 2012. We're not going back to 2008 where we have 16 people available for every open job. Uh, we're, we're still in a situation where there's still more jobs than people. And um, so you're, you're in the you're already in a place where your ability to engage is just so important. And, and honestly, looking forward, we're in a decline, a shrinking workforce until 2040 is what's being projected. So the whole idea that uh, just the whole idea that not engaging and not using that investment you've made in, in building these talent pools, um, it, it's, it's not only wasteful, it may, it may actually be a real competitive disadvantage for your company. What are your thoughts on that, Chuck? Uh, it's so true. You know, um, I think first off, when things turn bad, uh, there's a lot of fake jobs out there, right? And uh, there's a lot of people that feel bad, so they don't want to get back to you. Um, yeah. And budgets are frozen and hiring, hiring decisions get wobbly. Um, but I think in general, uh, the, the beautiful thing is that we're taking small steps forward. So I think, yeah, you're going to see more ghosting, which is a big problem. Um, you see less value and talent today is because people are typically reactionary. Hiring managers are reactionary. Are. Um, and, and, but, you know, consciousness is a continuum. So as we continue to educate, as we're having this podcast today and we keep keep banging on the point and systems are being implemented, I think we take steps towards a better future. I just think it's going to take a while for us to get to a point where we have total talent consciousness. Like you said, people, I mean, people buy painkillers, not supplements. Right. And. And when they're not in pain, uh, they're not buying. And that's just the reality of, of, of human, human experience. That's really, that's really true. Um, the other side of that though, is the, you know, it seems like, especially in business, those people that really are focused on, on, on the supplements in their business, you know, focusing on building a better, stronger business, uh, they'll see, you, you see things a very different way. You know, when you look at talent, that's, uh, that's the key. You know, if, if you're in a, a kind of business where, where your revenue is dependent on people delivering service, you have to look at that uh, as a strategic asset. If, if you're in a business, you know, you, met, you mentioned retail. If you're in a business where customer service has a big effect on sales, people are a really valuable asset. And that's not just lip service. Um, it's just really hard for people that are working in that. You know, if I'm, if I'm a manager on the floor at a store, it's really hard to think about talent. Uh, in the in the heat of the moment when we're dealing with restocking end caps, so uh, it's it's hard, but I think it's really important 
especially for talent acquisition professionals, to be telling the hiring managers and really communicating with them about, hey, I know you think that there's a downturn out there, but uh, the reality is there really isn't. Uh, there's a short-term downturn turn that will very quickly turn into uh, the Christmas, e Christmas season hiring spree. And all those people that we just said no to or we just ghosted aren't going to be available for us to hire when we need them. I think you speak to talent consciousness, right? If we're talking about the best companies are aware that talent is their most important asset and they'll, and through this, they'll become stronger. I have companies that I'm consulting with right now that are trying to acquire talent consciously, right? Because they know that they, this is a time where they can buy, uh, buy the best talents. Just like when we have a depression, the smart ones go out and buy all the property because it's cheap. Um, talent is, is the ultimate capital. So, I think the, the, the better companies win in the end because of this and the companies that treat people badly and don't aren't aware they're going to lose because of, to your point, the demographics say that less talent's there. We don't notice it in a downturn, but as, as, as this problem heightens, um, it'll create a divide between companies that actually do manage talent well and talent companies that don't. And so the companies that don't, they'll be gone. I think that's a, a, very succinct way to look at it and probably the right one. So what do you see over the next few years? You know, if you put yourselves in the shoes of, of maybe being the head of, you know, maybe being the VP of talent acquisition at a company, um, what do you need to put in place to be ready for what's coming over the next two years? Well, I think that it's, again, it just comes back to awareness, Mike, right? It's just, are you aware? And this is really, it's a realization Right. It's a it's a different way of looking at talent. And and that's why we're talking about this today. And that's why I bang on this drum so hard is that, hey, if you want to be great, you need to think about the whole life cycle. And I think we're seeing the implementation of systems. We're for one, we, we, we didn't have systems that were capable of it. Uh, that was the first piece. Um, now we need to address uh, workflow change is really important. Right. What I talked about, hey, when a hiring manager opens a position, you should have visibility into what talent's available. So we, let's see who's there versus this whole like eating out or just spraying out a wreck and seeing what's coming back. It's a really unconscious way of looking at talent. So hmm. I think we'll see a work for, one. We need systems implementations. We need great products like pivot Two, We need uh, better workflows and, and, and people won't address workflows until they have systems. They'll get a system and they'll mess that up. And then they'll figure it. And this is my whole point about experience is like, hey, take the first step. Start asking yourself the question. Take, take a baby step. Take a small population. Hey, you know, like I said, claims adjusters for an insurance company. That was an easy use case. Uh, you know, yeah, store, store uh, workers um, for, a, for a shoe company. That's, it's, you know you're going to hire 10,000 every year. Like, just start learning from doing and then, and then I think your awareness grows and you find other opportunities to, to use the technology in the process. So I like what you said, Chuck, there, that instead of going to Uber Eats, go to your refrigerator first and see what you already have to eat, right? That instead of, right, that, I liked your metaphor there. It, it's a mindset that's very different. If that were your approach, then what would it take to be able to enable that capability? I, I think you're right. If you have a mindset first of, let, let's check what we already have. Let's look in the, in the pantry. 
right type of an idea are you starting to you know see customers in your businesses starting to think this way or are you having to bang that drum you're saying or what, what is it taking to kind of get them to you know maybe uh, be willing to kind of take on this mindset well I, I think i'll continue that analogy but i think you're exactly right like one is hey it's got to be a problem for them first, right? We didn't start stop killing whales until they ran out, and then we said, "Oh, well, we can get oil out of the ground." Uh, or the or the analogy of like when I go to New York City, I stay in a hotel with a with a refrigerator. Now, you, you you right now customers are just eating out nonstop, right? They're just eating out. They know no better. They don't care about the bill. Um, but yes, now maybe I can make breakfast at home, right? Maybe I can. Maybe I can do simple things. If I want sushi, I'm going to eat out still, right? If I need a high-end data scientist, I might have to buy that. But Chuck, what, you, what, you can I, wanna, what can I cook at home, right? Yeah, Chuck, you don't want to have uh, you don't want to make sushi out of the tuna that's in my refrigerator. You just don't. Yes, that's a great, it's a good, great continuation. Like, yeah, so there's certain things that you can't do, uh, but yeah, find out what you can do, and that's that's really looking at your data set. That's looking at repeatable roles. That's looking at people that people that are easy to engage, um, you know, populations that work. And like you said, uh, the companies that are good at this are the great, the really smart consulting companies, the the Accentures, the Deloitte's. They they make money off of people, so they are advanced. They have these systems, they have these processes. Um, so I think whatever you see, the leaders in the market that actually make money off of talent, how, what they're doing, companies need to look at them and say. Okay, I'm, that that will trickle down to companies that that start to, don't have as much benefit, but will still benefit a lot from it. All right, so we've kind of reached the point here where I always ask guests on pivot to first three questions, um, and I think I told you earlier, um, warned you in advance that you're not going to be graded, but you can totally get them wrong. Um, so, first question: What business book has been really influential in your journey? Uh, um, for me, the, the, the ultimate book for me was Lean Startup uh, because, you know, I was always trying to make products perfect. And so understanding that uh, getting, getting, a, getting a product to market, validating the product, really understanding that there's a problem and, and don't focus so much on a product. You know, I got into product management to build stuff. Where the reality is now, what I'm looking for is a really nasty problem. And uh, Lean Startup's a great book to either read or listen that will will give you that, uh, will, will change people's lives if they're in the product field. Favorite movie? Favorite movie? Uh, I think uh, my favorite movie is The Matrix. Um, because of, uh, you know, it's it's just a beautiful understanding that we are more than what we see. Um, and although it's a movie and it's a concept, it's also true. Um, so that, that movie changed my life as well, much like Lean Startup. And uh, the, the sequels didn't do as well for me, but uh, the first one was fantastic at the time. Yeah, I'm not sure the sequels did well for anybody, but the, the first movie was, you know, when I look back through my life, like uh, that was uh, the movie of the decade easily. Yeah, I always yeah, liked yeah, the, red pill, the red pill, blue pill. Uh, take of choice, right? It directs your path. <clears throat> yeah. Good message, right? I think, I think everybody the, liked that, that movie except people whose last name was Anderson. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. 
So uh, final, final question. Is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? And, and by the way, um, this is a really good chance to, to talk a little bit about how to get a hold of yourself and, and, and how to, you know, how, how, who should really talk to you about uh, consulting with you. Well, thank you, Mike, for having me, David. I really appreciate it. I love talking about uh, this problem, right? We're at, the, we're at the precipice. We're in the stone ages of talent consciousness. And people like you are leading the way, building products that make it easier for companies to implement systems like that. So I'll, first I'll say is, you know, I'm objective about products. All I want to do is make sure that companies are doing the best things they can to, to raise, raise the talent experience for the better of all people, people easier for people to get jobs. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're wondering about a talent strategy, um, you know, I've pretty much seen it all. And I would love to talk to you. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I, I really, I don't pay, I don't take referral fees from anybody uh, because uh, I just, I like to tell people the truth about my experience with products or services. So if you want an objective answer about something, I'll, I'll give you a, give you a fool's uh, perspective. Chuck, thanks so much for spending time with us here today. To everybody watching, have a great afternoon and 